Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, Eric Bailey, the Tulsa World, is going to stop by as we'll get his perspective on the Oklahoma Sooners talk. OU football uh, as the Sooners are rolling with a 7-0 record. We'll get his insights in just a little while from right now. We'll have our Big 12 breakdown coming up. We'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week and more in uh, just a matter of moments. You will not want to miss it. Thomas Bridges joins me right now as well as the NBA season, Tom, is finally here. I got to tell you, this is the most excited I've been for an NBA season in a long time. As you and I are recording this, I got the thunder on. I know you're getting ready to watch the Spurs. Uh, NBA basketball. Uh, I, I I did not think, Tom, that I would be this ready, hyped for October basketball. But, but here we are. Oh, I'm stoked. It's, you know, I know you claim thunder, obviously. But uh, it's my city versus your city tonight. And uh, Luca is playing. So you get the debut of Wimby. Uh, I wanted to go to the game, but the tickets to, for a decent seat just to get in would have cost me about 200 bucks. I mean, now you could sit in the standing section only way at the top for like 50 bucks. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. Um, no, you but, got a better view on TV than you would standing. Yeah, and the game, you know, at the time we're recording this, the game has yet to tip off. Um, so it's a late tip anyway, and that traffic is horrible out of there. So soon I will get – I'll catch a Spurs regular season. But, uh, you know, I'm just as excited as you are. You know, I'm in a new city in my favorite team city. Uh, I don't think I've been this excited for Spurs basketball, at least, and probably – I don't know, maybe, I don't know, what is it, probably eight, seven, eight years. Now, I I, I got to say, credit to us when we talk about the commitment to watching our teams, Tom, because you and I, we both have our ways of being able to watch our teams as much as we want without paying a penny. Shout out to friend of the show, Derek Haglin. Uh, I got his Xfinity login for Bally Sports Kansas City, and I get all the Thunder games just streaming on my uh, my my Roku, and like you got all these bootleg apps that give you access to, be able to watch your games. Like, it just comes down to being built different and, and finding ways to watch your teams. Uh, you know, whatever it takes, right? Yeah, in the world of cord cutting, there was there's no there's no paid alternatives. Uh, you know, if I don't have, I'm not going to pay to watch something. I can watch it at a, at a sports bar. You know, I'm, I'm not going to pay a hundred dollars for cable a month when I can get it for free. Like, right. I'm not, I'm not cheap by any means, but there's, there's, there's ways to do this shit. Like, why would I pay for league pass when I'm getting the exact same thing for free? Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, uh. We won't. We won't uh, fall to the corporation's greed. They won't get a penny of my money. No, I mean between what you and I do to watch TV for free and get our jerseys from from Amy Smith, there's always a workaround to to beat the system. There's always a way. Where there's a will, there's a way. 
and uh you know we don't pay full price for jerseys uh and we and we watch free sports right. they said hulu hulu has live sports well tom's got live free sports <laughs> yes um tom only uh only pays uh, for Netflix to see Jennifer Lawrence. Like that—that's the no, one. I don't even—I don't even pay for Netflix anymore. I got a movie site too, a bootleg movie site. Okay. That that has all the Netflix uh, and and the Disney Plus and whatever else. Okay, it's, I'll, it's pretty goaded. I'll need to get that one from you next. Uh, I'll put that on my list from Tom's bootlegging uh, sources, and it's the great mystery for those of you out there. Uh, if you want to know, uh. Too bad, you know. You're just gonna have to figure it out. It's, it's part of. Well, yeah, it. we don't we don't give our sources up because we, we when be too, held responsible. When yeah. too many people know about them, they go away. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, it's a very good point, Tom. With with the NBA season here, we mentioned not just the excitement for our teams, for the thunder of this new era with SGA and Chet Holmgren, and you know the both of the Jalen Williams and, and Josh Giddy and, you know, with San Antonio, with what they got going on, of course, with Victor Wimbanyama and all the excitement there, but just around the league as a whole, this is one of the greater unknown seasons we've seen in quite some time. I'll, I'll say this much, Tom, one of the reasons that I think I lost interest in the NBA over the last few years, uh, really was after Kevin Durant left Oklahoma City of just seeing the Warriors dominate and no parity in the league. Right now, it is it is so unknown. Like, there's so much parity right now that I can't really define one dominant team compared to everybody else. There, There's a number of teams that we could name off to begin 2023 through 24 that are realistic title contending teams here. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously in the East, you kind of have – you do kind of have a little idea. I think the West is a little bit harder to pre- predict, but like the Bucks getting Damian Lillard, like you'd be hard pressed not to say the Bucks is the first Eastern Conference team out of your mouth, and then probably the Celtics. But and then you know there's some other other teams there, but the West, I mean the Lakers have retooled up. It looks like pretty good. Uh, you know, you obviously Denver. Uh, I mean they won last night. Uh, against the Lakers, and then the Suns have have tooled up and and made the moves that they need to make. They beat the Warriors. You can never count the Warriors out, though, either. Um, and then you know these other other teams that you know, like maybe the Thunder or even you know the Rockets have have gotten made some moves. Like anywhere between six and the play in in the West could ruin your day. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, they certainly could. And the the moves that were made, Tom, this offseason, we mentioned with, with what Boston did with bringing in Damian Lillard and with the Phoenix Suns, uh, bringing in Bradley Beal here, an eventful offseason, and now putting it all together here, I, I look at that Phoenix Suns team, and, and don't take this the wrong way, folks. I, I'm not just saying this as a – as a Kevin Durant hater, which I am, but that Phoenix Suns team, for all the wheeling and dealing and the moves they've made and everything, I, I'm I'm not convinced this is going to work and going to go well for the Phoenix Suns because I've seen these Kevin Durant led teams before. 
most recently the Brooklyn Nets, where it was made in the image he wanted and it didn't work. And you, you get rid of, you know, Aiton, and now you don't necessarily have a great big man there anymore and trying to balance out Durant with Booker and, and, and Bradley Beal. Like, who's running the point with that team? I, I The the Suns, to me, are, are the team that's got the biggest potential of being a fraud of these so-called contending teams. Uh, what, what, what do you think of the, the Suns and – their uh their their thoughts entering 2023 yeah you know i think they're i think they have the potential to be frauds too uh i mean it just it's one of those things that the suns have like a generational curse on them kind of like the boston red sox um where the suns can get so close but they can't get it done right like i'm trying to think have the suns ever won a championship no they have not yeah and they've been they've been there they should have, uh, what, two years ago and couldn't do it. And it's, it's I don't know what kind of, I don't know if Charles Barkley sold his soul to the devil along with the, the rest of the franchise soul or what happened. Yeah. I, I, I can't really explain it either. Why they uh, I mean, lack thereof of success because they've had plenty of opportunities. I mean, even just a couple of years ago, Tom, that team that went to the NBA Finals losing the Bucks, I still look back. I think they were every bit as talented as that Bucks team. If you know the ball goes a couple different directions, the, the Phoenix Suns very easily could have won that title. I mean, what they were up two zero, weren't they? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's what I mean. It's just kind of like, well, you know, and they try to get all these pieces, and it's it's just not working out for them. Um. Kind of remember when, like, the when like the Philadelphia Eagles first did like the big super team, right? And that just didn't work out. That's the same way with the Suns. I don't know what it is. I mean, even at look at other teams that don't have Charles Barkley or these past Suns teams. I mean, you had Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire, right? Um, Ty, what Tyson Chandler, I think, was on those teams, and then you had. I think Sean Marion was on a couple of those teams, Leandro Barbosa. Uh, I mean, even the Detroit Pistons got it done with a little bit less, not taking away from those great Pistons teams, but the Suns were still never able to get it done there. Right. So generational curse, I'm calling it. I like it. Um, Another team that that really piques my interest uh, is what's going on with this – this Sixers team and this whole James Harden saga that's continued throughout the offseason of him demanding a trade, not showing up, finally arrives in the building and they won't let him travel. And now we're being told that they just felt like he wasn't ready and that they will let him play down the line is the plan eventually. But you talk about being toxic, Tom, James Harden, or, or as, uh, or boy, Embiid would say James Harden. Uh, <laughs> this is pretty good, wasn't it? Um, oh yeah, that was that was pretty good. James Harden. Uh, this is a guy, you know, I I, I think is is pretty toxic in his own right. I mean, you know, I can't imagine the Sixers are going to get even close to the value of, of the towel, the player that he is, and wherever he goes is going to be an issue as well. Here, I mean, this is. If you're a Sixers fan, like that franchise has made a lot of missteps over the years. And now it sucks because you know you're not good enough to win the East. And 
you're not going to be any better when you move on from James Harden because you're not going to get what he's really worth. No, of course not. I mean, he's tanked his trade value. And, you know, another thing that he's just a, a cancer to have around. I mean, anywhere he's gone has just been, you know, trash. Right. Like, he can't make it work. He's too big of a diva. Yes. Yes, certainly so. Um, let me ask you this, the Western Conference. Before you and I kind of give our our picks of sorts uh, for who's going to win it all, let's start with the defending champs, the Denver Nuggets. Jokic, Jamal Murray back, running it back after an impressive run through last year. Tom? Really good team and really good core with some young players, you know, Michael Porter and and uh you know Christian Brown and others here. But I don't look at that Nuggets team. I'm not fearing that this is gonna be a dynasty or anything like that. To me, that was a very good run that they did, but I, I don't I don't fear them being in a team like the Thunder or some of these other their way of getting to where they want to go. Like the the Warriors a few years back were a buzzsaw. That you know slowed down the growth of a lot of teams in the NBA. The Nuggets, not taking anything away from what they did last year, but as far as I'm concerned, they're just another team uh, in a competitive field. You know, I, I can see that. I personally think they're going to go back to the NBA championship, or I think they're going to go back to the finals. I, I think they're going to have a couple of good years where they can, you know, where they're in the Western Conference Finals, uh, you know, every other year. As long as that team can stay healthy, which previously they hadn't been able to stay healthy. Uh, and we know without, you know, Jokic or Jamal Murray, then this team is uh, a shell of itself. So if, if they can stay healthy, I have no problem picking them to go to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, what about the Warriors and the Lakers here? The, both teams coming off Western Conference Finals appearances. The Warriors ultimately slept, swept the uh, the Lakers last year. Uh, is the Lakers, this might be the last chance for LeBron to really make a championship push. While the Warriors, you know, the post-Bob Myers era, they go out and bring Chris Paul. They still have you know Draymond and Steph and Clay and company here. That, that that Warriors team is not going to go away quietly. What what do you think uh, about uh, those two teams in in the West? There, I'd be interested to see how much gas they have left. Um, you know, like I I feel like it's maybe not. I don't want to say beginning of the end because they do have a great coach and and Steve Kerr, um, but I I liken them to kind of like what happened in the Spurs, right? So. The Spurs, they rattle off, you know, 1999, 2003, 2005, 2007. Well, now they were in the playoffs and and had chances to win every year, but took a seven-year hiatus and didn't get back to the finals till 2013. They lost and then won in 2014. I think we could see something happen like that with the Warriors. Yeah, we could. Like kind of a kind of a small break. Well, and then, like, okay, when you get to crunch time, how are the Warriors going to split up between Clay, Steph, and, and Chris Paul? Like, is, is Chris Paul running the point and 
you put staff on on the wing like what what does that look like in crunch time how that offense runs well and not only that how the defense runs i even heard that that steve kerr was talking about playing clay thompson at the four i'm like that's a bad idea are you sure like clay's not you know i wouldn't call clay soft but i wouldn't call him tough either yeah you know if he gets banged up i mean you know it definitely comes down to the health of your team but nobody's getting any younger i mean they they took james wiseman who was not talked about enough in terms of what a flop that was right that wasn't a very good draft pool to pull from anyway for a number two overall pick they missed that one big time i mean yeah uh (laughs) And then not only that, you have another lucky draw kind of in Jonathan Kaminga, who hasn't really done shit either. Um, So the recent draft, now, you know, they did. So obviously they traded away Jordan Poole, um, which we'll see. We'll see what ends up coming down the line on that. I think that's going to end up being a mistake. I think that, you know, well, the Warriors should have kept him and, and let Draymond go. I mean, I get where the ties go. You know, I understand a little bit. But at the end of the day, you want to do what's best for your team. Wiggins has looked good for them. You still have Kevin Looney. Um, but I think, you know, I think having – I think if they would have said, all right, Draymond, you're gone. You can go – you know, you could – go join the Memphis can you imagine Draymond on Memphis Grizzlies oh man with John Morant and Marcus Smart that would be that would be the new bad boy Pistons they're like the that would be that would he would be perfect in in Memphis honestly he yeah. he is like he's like Zach Randolph's son right he, that would have been perfect they should have traded him there um and then they could have really been the the grit and grind grizzlies yeah but i don't know i don't just it'd be interesting to see how that plays out and i think jordan Poole. you want to talk about a player to watch this year uh i hate that he goes to the wizards because that's a poverty franchise but uh watch out jordan Poole. i think is going to have a miles bridges type uh kind of like a that style of a, a breakout season so let's go ahead and make our uh, predictions here. Who wins the championship and who the uh, the MVP of the league is going to be? Tom, uh, I'm going with to win the championship. I got the Bucks beating the Nuggets, but <laughs> I don't think there's a, a big gap necessarily. I think both teams, in, in particular, I think the Nuggets are going to be challenged. Uh, but I like the Bucks ultimately win it all. Giannis and Damian Lillard, I think, are going to be a very nice combo together. Dame time gets that uh, that first ring. Uh, let's let's go with you on on the championship. Then we'll circle back to MVP. Who uh, who wins the title? Uh, meets in the NBA Finals. There, honestly, I think it's uh, you took words right out of my mouth. I think it's you'd be stupid at this point not to say Bucks Nuggets. You could fill it in. You could say Celtics, Suns, Celtics, Lakers, uh, Celtics, or and you I mean you can swap those out any which way you want to do it. Um, you know, Memphis. 
I think could be a dark horse if Jaw gets his shit together when he comes back and maybe is a nightmare matchup for someone in the first round because he they obviously he would miss the first 25 games. Um, I think that could be a nightmare situation for some team that's higher ranked to run into them. So that could spoil things. But um, after that, you want to talk about MVP? Yeah, give me your MVP pick first, then I'll go. I'll go after you. MVP, I'm gonna go. I see. I saw what he did last night. Triple double right out of the gate. I, I'm gonna say Jogic. He deserved to win it last year. Didn't. Um, I, I think I like him to win MVP. Uh, man, it, it's it's tough to pick against Jokic. Uh, but I, I'm gonna go. I'm going to go with this guy because he is going to be demanded to do so much. Not and, SGA. No, 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 not SGA. Oh. Um, in fact, I think this guy's actually going to be demanded to do more than SGA is. Uh, I, I, I'm going to go Jason Tatum to win MVP. Okay. Uh, I like that. I look at that Celtics team and, you know, Jason Tatum is, is going to need to put that team on his back. I mean, and, as you say this, if you say that, they're losing to the Knicks right now with three minutes to go in the fourth. Yeah, it's it's game one of 82. Knicks are a very good team, I think, actually. Uh, yeah, I think they could be. But Tatum is my guy. He's going to need to put that team on his back. And uh, I, I think this is his year to go from a top five player to a top three player in the league, potentially speaking. So I like that. I can yeah. respect that. Now, what about rookie of the year? I think I know how you'll go, and I think you know how I'll go. Uh, I, I'll I'll go Victor Wimbanyama, but I will be rooting for Chet Holmgren to uh, to win the rookie of the year. I, you know what I hate about the hype bullshit about Victor? He's he's well due for the hype, and I've seen him, and he I've seen him in person. He, he's incredibly like he's nothing like I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, ever, and I've seen a lot. Um, not, I've never seen it. I've never seen someone move like that, uh, and it's mind blowing to watch. Uh, it's jaw dropping, even, and that's not. Uh, that's I'm not overreacting. Um, yeah. I do hate that. Even if Chet even plays a smidge of a bit better, let's say, than Vic, Victor Wimbanyama, if they're both putting up numbers, they're going to give it to Victor because of the ratings and the hype. That's just it's. It might as well, as bad as it sounds, it might as well, as long as he doesn't knock on wood, get hurt, or pull a Josh Primo and show his dick to the to the trainers, I mean, you might as well put it in the bag for him. It's, it's in the NBA script. What, what I would say, though, is that if I was betting, if I was going to go put a wager down, I'm not oh, going to get on much. Check. Yeah, I'm not going to get much value for a victor bet, but... Yeah, I would put some cash down for the Chet bet because that would be a nice payout if, like you mentioned, you know, you have an injury or what if Chet just goes off? I mean, Chet did look really good in, in summer league and preseason. I mean, if 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 Victor Wimbanyama didn't exist, Chet would be the favorite by a mile uh, to be MVP uh, or not MVP to be Rookie of the Year. So. If we, I mean, unless unless Scoot Henderson takes the Blazers to the playoffs, yeah, or something ridiculous like those are the two, right? Like, 
and you know Scoot Henderson has to be a little salty. I would be. But that's just what it's come down to. I, I'm i looking forward to the most. I'm kind of like where the Thunder are a couple of years ago when like they have all these picks and these players. I'm not expecting the Spurs to make the playoffs or even rooting for them to make it. Uh, I'm kind of like just watching. I, I remember you and Jose just said, okay, we have no expectations. And whatever good happens, that's great. And I'm going to enjoy doing it. And that's the that's the point I'm in right now. I have no expectations for the Spurs. They're over their over under games is like twenty eight and a half. I think they win more than that. I don't know what the Thunders are. I like the Thunder to make the play in. Oh, I I, I don't think I, I think they, be I think they could be eight. I don't even think they'll be in the play in. I have them as a six seed in the West. Uh, yeah, I mean very well could happen. So yeah, that'd be nice. That being said, let's move on. Let's uh, let's talk NFL. Tom, uh, I want to begin today in San Francisco with the 49ers and losing two straight. My guy Brock Purdy has not played great the last couple of weeks. Just going to be frank. As much as that pains me to say, Brock has not looked good. And he's not playing this week. He's in concussion protocol. We're going to see Sam Donald get his first career start for San Francisco this upcoming week. And you look at this Niners team, they've had their share of injuries with McCaffrey and Debo Samuel, now Brock Purdy, losing two in a row after starting off 5-0. and Tom, are, are you selling the Niners? Were they frauds? Are they what people are calling them, the San Fraud Cisco 49ers? Or... Are they a good football team that has just been hit by the injury bug? Which is it? I, I lean towards that it's the injuries. I think they're going to be just fine. I, I'm not hitting the panic mode for the Niners. What about you? Oh, I'm hitting the panic mode. Without, really? that, without that supporting cast, I mean, you know, if you take away – if you cut them in half, let's say, if you say, okay, half of whatever, like average league uh, for Kittle, average league running back, like, if you were to give the 49ers, like, let's say, give them the Arizona supporting cast. So, give them James Conner as a running back. Uh, their tight end would be Zach Ertz or whoever, no name else for them. Yeah. And then give them uh, who's – I can't even name two Cardinals wide wideouts. Michael Wilson and um, – Marquise Brown. Uh, yeah, shell of his former self, not very much Hollywood anymore. Give Brock Purdy that and then take away Trent Williams and what's he going to do? He's oh, not right. doing shit. Trent Williams is hurt too. I almost forgot about that too. Yeah. yeah, you take away that anchor on the line, he's getting beat up. Uh, it's been a very not merry Brocktober to Brock Purdy. And honestly, I'm kind of here for it. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, now let me phrase this as like, I'm sure he's a great person. I think it's really cool that his family like will shut down their business and be like, if we can't go to the game, we're still going to watch it on TV. Uh, that's super cool of them. And you can tell he has a great support system. Um, and if he didn't beat up on OSU and wasn't playing for my second hated team in the big 12 being Iowa state for reasons that you know about 2011, you know what? Which he wasn't probably, a part I, of, but sure, yeah. I mean, I was, I was, I was at OSU for that season. No, no, that um, he wasn't a part of. I said. 
Oh, well, no, but it's just Iowa State in general. That's like – Okay, that's, I mean, that's enough, though. Go back to what you're saying, yes. Right. Um, you know, I probably would be rooting for him, honestly, because it's a cool story. It's a cool story. But Yeah, I mean, like, I'll say this. Like, my, my point being, like, I'm not hitting the panic mode because when they're healthy, that's a, that's an elite football team. They are going through, I think, the natural progression of a team that's banged up, that – the injuries are catching up to them. Like, I, I, no offense to my Seahawks today, people that may be listening right now, but I still think the Niners win that division. Like, I, I don't think, you know, Seattle, you talk about a team that's inconsistent. Like, I know they brought in Frank Clark, and that was a big deal. And, you know, you, you lose Uchin and Wosu. He's done for the year uh, after the torn peck injury that he suffered. But, I, I still like San Fran more than I do Seattle in that division. L.A., I could see the Rams potentially getting aggressive at the trade deadline here, but I, I, I still think it's San Francisco's division to lose. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the Rams just lose to Pittsburgh in a, in a game they had no business losing. I mean, George Pickens played out of his mind, but uh, the Rams just couldn't get it together, and usually the second-half adjustment's been pretty good. Uh, the Cardinals are obviously in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes at this point. Um, and, you know, Seattle is, you, you mentioned inconsistent. You know, you go out, you lose the Rams first game at home. Then you go out and beat the Lions, who the Lions have been a little inconsistent getting just shit on by the Ravens this past weekend. But so many up and downs so far for Seattle. Uh, you know, the right. Niners I mean, literally gave a win away to the Bengals. You're right. And then, and then, so as the 49ers, all is not lost because they have that pretty privilege of, of being in a division that's usually balls to the walls where everyone's not having their best year. Right. So right. traditionally in the NFC West, they'd be fucked. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean that's I mean that's putting it not lightly, obviously, but they would be. Um, another team on fraud watch. I got to bring up the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, uh, you lose to the New England Patriots last week. Now you play the Bucks on a Thursday night football, uh, who aren't bad. I think the Bucks are better than I think most people thought they'd be at three and three and have a chance chance to win that division. Uh, Baker's look decent and everything, uh, but that Buffalo Bills team, Tom. You got Josh Allen, you got Stephon Diggs, you got a good defense and everything. What the hell is going on in Buffalo? At, at four and three, I, I am much more concerned about Buffalo than I am San Francisco. Like, I, I look at Buffalo and, I mean, they're talent-wise, that's a team that on paper, Tom, should be second or third in the AFC, only to Kansas City and – you're right up there with Cincinnati and, and talent, right? But here they are, and at this point, Miami looks better than them. Baltimore looks better than them. Uh, you know, a number of teams. Like, to me, I I, I think Buffalo is, is the real fraud to watch right now. Like, they could, they could turn around come playoff time, but history tells me they aren't going to turn it around come playoff time. They're going to get knocked out in the divisional round probably again. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's just um, that's just the way it works for them, right? Like it's this. Uh, that's 
almost stereotypical at this point. Yeah, I mean, is is Josh Allen overrated? I don't think he is, but you know what's bad for them? I mean, he has been a turnover machine, if we're going to be frank. I mean, yeah, I think they have the hmm, – it seems kind of like a – kind of like, you know, they popped up and started doing really good, kind of like the Memphis Grizzlies where they had a whole lot of hope and they're like, okay, this is their ne- this is their year next year or whatever happened. And and somewhere down the line, they just couldn't sustain it. And it's hard to it's hard to sustain it or hard to just keep being on top. And I think that's the problem they ran into. Another problem they will run into that I watch every week that they've lost, at the beginning of the season, Stephon Diggs pretty much just said, hey, I'm over this shit. I want to win a Super Bowl. I want to at least get there. And kind of like open air bitched and saying like, if something doesn't change, I'm leaving. You get Stefan Diggs to leave. Okay, that's not the end of the world. You have Gabe Davis. You have a myriad of other decent wide receivers. Uh, but then you run into the, okay, well, now we need a premier wide receiver. Who's that going to be? Uh, the receivers I've already mentioned, not necessarily it. Uh, they've had in and outs at running backs. They've managed to find, you know, several fill-ins, whether it be Zach Moss or uh I mean they've had several that have that have made do. Um but you know right now the Bills on this is that's the biggest fraud watch right now to be honest. Yeah I mean and I think people want to like the Bills and want the Bills to be relevant. I think it's good for football uh with as vibrant as their fan base is, with as exciting Josh Allen can be, um, but yeah, they 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 are fraudulent right now. They they to me are, are not playing up to their expectations, and I, I would even take it one step further. Tom Sean McDermott did a really good job of helping those guys develop, but there is a difference between coaches that win championships and coaches that develop talent. And I think what we might be seeing, the number one problem, people are going to point to Josh Allen, the turnovers and all that, and that's a big issue. I think the number one problem might be Sean McDermott. We like to fire coaches on this show. If they don't get out of the divisional round, I don't know how he keeps his job next year. Man, it'd be pretty hard. I mean, we love a good Bill Burr lookalike, but – you know, I this ain't a la- this ain't spot on. this ain't a laughing matter anymore. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like if I'm a Bills fan, I'm pissed. Right? Absolutely. A uh, couple other teams uh, that I, I want to bring to the attention this week: the Ravens taking on the Cardinals, which we fully anticipate they should win. But here's the Ravens sitting. Pretty at five and two and just beat the living hell out of the Detroit Lions this past week. The losses they've had, they shouldn't have lost the Steelers. They gave that game away. Um, that That's a Ravens team, Tom, that I feel like is really just now starting to figure it out. Like it took a while to really pick up Todd Munkin's offense, but Lamar is starting to adapt. That defense looks like one of the best in the league. Roquan Smith has been fantastic. Now there's rumblings. They're looking at making a trade potentially for Derrick Henry. 
watch out. The, the Baltimore Ravens, that's a team, like if you're looking for a sleeper team to make it to the Super Bowl in Vegas, I, I think the Ravens have a pretty decent shot right now. I, I'm as high on the Ravens as I think uh, I, I've been in, in years right now. I mean, after that shellac ass whoop of the Lions, I was like, oh, man, Lamar looked better this weekend than I think I've seen him in a long time. Yes. I mean, he was he was incredible. Where I was like, oh, wow, okay, Lamar's not playing. Like, this is it. Um, you know, like, I was like, all right, all right. You know, they're uh, – Maybe they're for real now. Maybe they're on opposite of fraud alert. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, just the uh, the opposite of fraud alert. Uh, you know, <laughs> they've come alive. You know, stock is up in uh, Baltimore, if, uh, if if that makes sense, as far as that goes. Uh, also want to talk about the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles here. A couple more teams I want to, uh, I want to go through one by one here. The Eagles at 6-1. Nice win over the Dolphins. Tom, I, I didn't think that was a bad loss for the Dolphins, although they didn't play great. I mean, you lost to a team that I think is just better. Eagles 6-1, and one, they're, they're in, in such good shape. Good bounce back from the loss the week prior to the New York Jets. Uh, I mean, that that Eagles team, I, I, I think right now, if, if you ask me who the best team in football is, I, I would say the Philadelphia Eagles without even thinking twice about it. I, I liked what they did uh, on Sunday when they didn't even play their best and they still were in complete control of that game from start to finish. Yeah, Jones, I, I think you're right. I think the Eagles are the best team. And they kind of remind me of the Chiefs uh, when the Chiefs had Tyreek Hill. I mean, you know, I'll bet the running back situation's a little bit different because DeAndre Swift has been like a live wire. I mean, he's been incredible, um, but outside of that, their their offensive prowess is is unstoppable, kind of like that Chiefs offense was. And you know, the Chiefs offense is still good, but this Eagles team has the the chance to just put you in a bind at any given time in terms of of being that good on offense. I mean, whether it's the running game or the passing game, you have you know Dallas Godard's not as good as Travis Kelsey. But he's still serviceable, still one of the better tight ends in the league. I mean, they can control it with the running game and the passing game and run the clock as long as they need to do it, all the way down to the tush push. So, uh, I mean, the Eagles have got – the Eagles are looking to go back to the Super Bowl and win it this time. Yeah, they're, they're a determined team. Uh, Nick Sirianni's doing a really good job. Um, yeah, don't be sleeping on the uh, Philadelphia Eagles for certain. Uh one of the teams you mentioned there, Kansas City Chiefs, you know, they're, they're not, I would say, dominating every week. They looked really good in last week's game against the char- win against the Chargers. But are they playing to their full potential? Probably not, but they don't necessarily need to be. You play the Broncos uh, coming up this week, and the Broncos have their fair share of issues. The Chiefs are big-time favorites, seven-point favorites to be exact. Tom, uh, I think for those that are – you know, want to read too much into, wow, the Chiefs aren't blowing people out. I mean, we've seen this song and dance from Andy Reid before where they show what they need to show and then they open up the playbook and kick it in gear come playoff time. Like, that that's a team unlike the Buffalo Bills that 
I know exactly what I'm getting where, you know, they're, they're do what they do now. And then they know when to turn it on when it matters most. Yeah. And that's all you kind of need out of them. Right. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, you know, you don't need to have the best record. I mean, you want the best record. Sure. But, and they you do know, as long the as you get right there, now. you're right. Like, and as long as you get there, you're fine. Um, so I think the Chiefs are in a great position. Um, for them, I think they probably enjoy the limelight outside of Taylor Swift taking all the attention. Any problems that they may have are drowned out by T Swift, and they're drowned out by um, they're drowned out by you know the Eagles or. Any other other drama going on in the NFL, right? And, and Craig Travis Kelsey, he's actually been playing better at the games that uh, Taylor Swift is at, uh, averaging nearly a hundred yards per game of the game she's there. So, uh, is that a crazy stat? Yeah. So, credit is that like a surreal stat? Like this is a simulation, right? Right. Credit. To you had told me at the beginning of the season, like. Taylor Swift is not only going to take over my Instagram feed. It's like, hey, we paid five hundred gazillion dollars for uh, the Eras tour tickets, but now she's infiltrating our lives on Sundays. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, and, and seeing Travis Kelsey's play elevate, even with, I got to tell you, I, I, I'm no Swift fan by any means, but. I felt for her that she had to hang out with Jackson Mahomes on Sunday. Like, what the hell? Uh, oh, did you see their handshake that she had with Brittany? Yes. And, and Jackson at the end. Oh my gosh. Uh, like, but have you seen I, the I, pictures? You can you can tell Brittany is like talk shit behind Taylor's back for sure. <laughs> like, have you seen her face? Like, she was the one getting all the attention in the box. Like. How much are the seats going for, you know, that are near the box where you can clearly see Taylor Swift? Right. Like, those have had to shoot way up. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Like, I mean, because uh, those seats aren't even bad either because you're, like, at the top of the lower bowl. Right. Right. But still. Um, Tom, NFL trade deadline coming up next week and we're going to see plenty of moves i'm sure between now and then two players i'm watching for specifically to get moved number one derrick henry the titans are a dumpster fire he's still really good still brings a ton of value to somebody his contract is going to be up at the end of this upcoming at the end of this season so the Titans need to trade him now while they can get something for him. I'm looking for a team like Baltimore to make a potential move for Derrick Henry, who needs a running back. And then the other player I'm looking forward to make to be uh, moved on from is Chase Young. The commanders have committed too much money elsewhere to pay Chase Young. He's had some injury issues, and he's terrific talent. He's off to a good start this year, but – I don't think they're committed to him, and the commanders are starting to come back down to earth. They don't look like a very good team. Those are two players that I have my eye on. As far as Chase Young goes, I think really there, there's a number of places. If you're looking for a pass rusher, uh, I mean, Chase Young would get that phone call pretty quick. I mean, 
Uh, and it's going to be the teams that you expect. It's going to be, you know, the Kansas cities, the Philadelphia's, the San Francisco's of the world. The teams are always looking to get better that I think would make those moves for Chase Young. So that's what I'm watching for. What, uh, what, what piques your interest uh, on trade deadline day uh, next week, Tom? I'm obviously super interested to see if the Rams say anything close to F them picks. Um, you mentioned Chase Young, who I think is a, a pretty good, I think that, oh, I think that's a pretty good bet. Um, you know, he seems kind of like he's just not fitting there anymore or that like both, or both teams or both parties need to kind of move on. Um, and I think it would be better for both parties. I'd like to see what the trade package would be, um, to get Chase Young. Um, because I think he could make a team real happy. I think he could thrive in the right environment. So be interested to see what that is. Um, you know, other than that, I think I think that's that's my lock of the deal that gets done. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, and then another one that's interesting: if you're a team that needs a running back, Tom, Derrick Henry is going to be the first one off the board, but. What's he going to command? I I think probably a second round pick. Really, uh, is what's going to take you, Derrick Henry, and somebody I think will do it. But then also, the New York running backs, Saquon Barkley, he's likely not going to be back in New York next year. Giants are dumpster fire. They might try to get something out of him. And then Dalvin Cook, who is basically just disappeared in that Jets offense because Brees Hall came back faster than anticipated, and he's been fantastic. They don't really have a place for Dalvin Cook. I could see them moving on from him. If you're a team that needs a running back right now, uh, there are plenty of running backs available and good teams that need them. I mean, like, take example Kansas City, Tom. Pacheco, I think, is not a number one running back. I think he's a very good number two you put Derrick Henry, you put Saquon Barkley, heck, even Dallin Cook there, and have Pacheco side by side, I mean, all of a sudden you're cooking with bacon grease here. I mean, uh, I think you're going to see some of these teams get real aggressive, and 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 that could be that difference maker. I mean, even, even Buffalo, I mean, what about them potentially going after Saquon and having him alongside Josh Allen? You want Josh Allen to not turn the football over as much? Get him a running back he can trust uh, and put Saquon Barkley back there, and that'll make a world of a difference. That wouldn't be a bad idea. I, it's interesting you say Kansas City uh, because I, I think they could benefit from one. I, I like Pacheco a lot, um, but, you know, I think that if they were to get even Dalvin Cook or somebody like that, they could benefit from. And, and you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, the two parties that could benefit from, you know, you know parting ways. As much as Clyde Edwards-Alaire kind of lit up the league at the beginning, um, I really think that Clyde Edwards-Alaire is not done yet. I just think he just has fallen in the, you know, the Pacheco. It's him, Pacheco, and who's the other? Um, who's the other running back for them? Oh, uh, Williams. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think that it's just you know the city ain't big enough for all of them, and I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire could could go somewhere. And so he might be part of a trade package of some sorts, or he might get traded for, you know, a fifth rounder or something like that. But would like to see, you know, if, if you think that Derrick Henry would go for a second rounder, uh, let me call Sean McVay real quick. 
uh, and get the deal done. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Rams with Derrick Henry. Oof. Oof. Oh. Um, Big 12 breakdown coming up in just a moment. Uh, also, we'll have uh, Eric Bailey stop by and join us from Tilts World coming up in uh, just a few moments. Tom Fullery to come as well. <laughs> It is the Big 12 Breakdown. Tyler Jones, Patrick Bridges here with you with a comprehensive look around the Big 12 Conference this week. We begin, as we do each and every week, with our hot takes. And, Tom, I'll go ahead and get this thing started first on the hot take front. And I'm going to head to Austin for this one. And I'll say this, Tom, this isn't so much a hot take. This is more like I feel like I got to educate with this one here um there have been discussions now that we've seen uh you know with with, uh, with texas with K- quinn ewers go down looks like he's going to be out for an extended period of time that they are going to go forward with malik murphy as their starting quarterback <laughs> he is the number not three. arch arch is the number three and that's how it's always been uh arch I I told everybody this. I said, Arch is the number three quarterback. That's how uh, it's been since he arrived on campus. And Malik Murphy looked really good in the spring. And Malik Murphy is a good quarterback. And we heard from Sark. He's already announced it. Malik Murphy is starting this upcoming week. And, you know, Arch Manning will be the number two quarterback. And Malik will go from there. And the point that I would like to make to educate the people out there, specifically Thomas Bridges, based on just what I heard of this not arch business, is that this is the right decision that Sark is going with here. Malik Murphy is the veteran quarterback. Uh, He is more ready for this moment. Arch came from a program in Louisiana that was a small school where he didn't face much tough competition. He is dealing with a learning curve of sorts. And if Arch would have earned the job to be the number two quarterback, he would be the number two quarterback. Sark is a quarterback guru, a quarterback wizard. There's no reason to hold uh, Arch Manning back if he's ready. And so I'll say, I know that I've had my, uh, you know, differences with Sark and and I've questioned some things about him, but on this quarterback front, I think that they're making the right call. I don't think there's going to be a very long leash on Malik Murphy necessarily, but for a team that's trying to contend for the big 12, that wants to get to the college football playoff, this is about a move for now. This is not about next year. We fully expect Arch Manning to be their starting quarterback next year, but at this very moment, this place in time, this is the right decision to go with Malik Murphy here, Tom. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I think that Texas is in a – I think they'd feel a lot better if they had beaten OU. Um, you know, are the Mormons going to storm into Austin and take down the Longhorns this weekend? I don't think so. I think. Are, you, are be... you going with the Joseph Smith Wildcats? I'm not. Uh, I think Texas will win. I think it should be an interesting game. Uh, I like what BYU's done this year, and and they've been, without question, the best of the new members in the Big 12. But I, I think that Texas 
should be able to take care of business and win this football game. And, and I think people are going to be impressed with Malik Murphy. I think, Tom, one way to look at this is that this is kind of like an open audition for Malik Murphy uh, for when he inevitably enters the transfer portal after this upcoming season to go be a starter somewhere else next year. I mean, heck, there's a number of programs that are going to need quarterbacks next year from the likes of Alabama to USC, just to name a few. Maybe Malik Murphy goes out there, balls out, and you know ends up with a pretty good program next year. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And maybe this is the opportunity for him to get that. And, um, you know, I, well, let's look at their schedule. Like, Texas has BYU at home. Now, if they were going to, you know, if they were going to Mormonlandia this weekend, be a little worried. Um, you've got, I think, I think you've got BYU. Week, I think next week against K State is their toughest test left of the regular season. And that's, and that's in Austin. Yeah, both you these don't have teams, to go to Manhattan. They they lock out. They only leave the state of Texas one more time the rest of the year. And that's to go to Iowa State. <laughs> Where they've had state struggles in, in the past too. Yes, I mean Ames is no joke. Well, I don't. You know, Ames is a nightmare. I don't care who you are. Uh, um, yeah, and then you got what? Well, I mean, you got one, two. You got three of your last five at home. And then the other game that you play away is in Fort Worth, where there's already going to be a big presence of fans anyway. TCU has been subpar at best. Right. Um, you know. And then if you do get into the Big 12 championship game, which if they win out, they I believe they would be if OU doesn't lose out. It's weird not having the round robin this year. Yes. Um, it's very that's very strange. And I'm sure that and, probably points will end up coming down. And with no divisions anymore, uh in the Big Twelve and a number of other leagues, I'm very confused on how some of these tiebreakers could play out, but carry on. Yeah, I mean, especially I'm not saying Oklahoma State's gonna beat OU. That well, that'll be a hot take for the next week, but um <laughs> If that happens, if or if OSU or if OU loses one like they almost did against UCF, that becomes a whole new tie-breaking mess. If if things pan out, I mean it's 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 crazy. But I mean that being said, Jones, I mean I think they should be fine. Um, I'll be rooting for the Mormons this Saturday. Um, you know. And I think the rest of the Big 12 will be, too. I think a lot of the people in the Big 12 that were part of the Hateful Eight were probably rooting for UCF as well. Um, And that's what you're going to get. And then, you know, Texas had a scare, though, uh, against Houston. So, um, and we talked about it. What was odd about that last week was that was the type of game, if you looked at the score, you would have thought, oh, Texas probably came out flat and had to come back from behind to win. No, they actually came out looking really good and then just hit a wall. And you had that terrible spot at the end of the game there, which was just ridiculous. But nonetheless, uh, it happened and Texas moves on from there. But it's an interesting stretch ahead. What's your hot take this week? I'm going to say that that Oklahoma State gets the dub against Cincinnati 
That's not that's not the hot take part. But I think with the win, I think the voters will make it a ranked matchup for Bedlam. I think Bedlam is a ranked matchup. And if you would have told me that after the South Alabama game or even maybe after the first game of the season for OSU, I would have laughed. Um, but OSU, knock on wood, seems to have turned it around a little bit. Um, amazing what having one quarterback instead of three can do for your football team. Um, and if Gundy so, would have just listened to me from the beginning when I said Alan Bowman needs you to be your guy, then he, he would have been just fine. We probably wouldn't have got – yeah, we, we, we could have been better. Uh, uh, and, and, and the other – you mentioned everybody's talking about the quarterback thing. But Ollie Gordon in that game against South Alabama, he only had like seven touches, um, if that. Like, why was he not involved more in the offense at the beginning of the year? He's been fantastic, and he – I mean, if you want to talk hot take, Tom, here's one for you. Ollie Gordon actually might end up being a Heisman finalist when it's all said and done. If he continues at this rate, playing as good as he is – he might be the best running back in all of college football. I mean, he is on a tear, and he is the reason why that they've turned the corner that they have. I mean, yeah. If if Ollie Gordon is the re if Ollie Gordon puts up 150 yards, pretty much half the game he just put up uh, against West Virginia this week, and has two touchdowns, and they beat OU, um, I'm ready to put him in New York at the end of the year if if OSU can scrap by and somehow manage to get back to the big 12 championship in Dallas, I would, my, I would have to change my pants on the way to Arlington. Cause I would have <laughs> shit him. I would, I would have shit my pants. I would shit my pants on the way to Arlington. I, I thought you were implying you'd have to change your pants because something else would have happened. Well, uh, maybe both. I might have to change the front and the back. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, Oh shit. Like, uh, and, and you know, Billy, a uh, friend of the show, Billy Locke, is already ready to say, like, we'll see you in Arlington. I'm like, whoa, 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 Billy. Like, listen, like, if they beat OU, which is a stretch, I'll <clears> – <throat> sorry, sneeze. If they beat OU, I'll be ready to have my heart broke again. Let's I'll, go be, I'll, be ready, I'll be ready for pain. Let's go to the Big 12 slate of games this week. Oklahoma, Kansas, big noon Saturday at Lawrence, folks. And good news for the Kansas Jayhawks. Jalen Daniels is expected to finally be back this week. But even with that said, I'm not getting my hopes up, Tom, because he was supposed to play that Texas game, woke up that morning with back pain, and we haven't seen him since. So this is not a knock on Jalen. Don't take it the wrong way, folks. But I'll believe it when I see it of him actually playing, you know, and, and being on the field. But nonetheless, that Kansas team is two different teams when Jalen Daniels plays and when Jason Bean plays. I think Bean's a very good backup, but your offense is limited when you have to go with Bean versus Jalen Daniels. If Kansas is going to win, it's going to have to be a shootout. For the Jayhawks to have a chance, they're going to have to outscore OU because Kansas's defense isn't stopping anybody. Uh, as far as I'm concerned. Oklahoma, I, I think if they play their game, if the defense shows up like they've been doing for most of the year and looked like one of the better defenses in college football, Oklahoma can can win this game by, by two scores potentially. But to me, 
That's what this game comes down to. Can Kansas turn it into a shootout? If they can, they'll have a chance, but I'm not expecting that. I, I think that Oklahoma probably, this is a close game for three quarters, and Oklahoma does what they do. We've seen them do a really good job of finishing football games where they go to the run game. Last week wasn't their best game, yet they still found a way to win. And Oklahoma eventually wears them out, the more physical team. That's another problem Kansas has had is that they're not the most physical team by any means. Oklahoma, I think, is more physical and ultimately too much. They win uh, probably by about seven or ten points, something like that, in uh, in Lawrence there. Yeah, the spread's ten. Does OU cover? I would lean towards no. Um, I would Ooh. say it's less than ten, but I do think that OU beats. So we'll see what goes on there. Uh, other games in the league this week. K-State taking on uh, Houston. Houston at three and four. They've played a lot better football the last couple of weeks, almost beating Texas, beating West Virginia. K-State, I loved what I heard from Kleiman's response. He was asked about how uh, his thoughts on if it worked playing two quarterbacks last week, and his response was 41 to three. <laughs> Ooh. So, yes, very much so. Avery Johnson looks good. Will Howard look good? Uh, I, I think Houston comes back down to earth a little bit here. I like what K-State's doing. They're defying the odds playing two quarterbacks here. Um, I think Avery's probably their better option long-term, but I, I think it's going to be a deal, Tom, for now, where they go with kind of who has the hot hand of some sorts and – I I think Kleiman's got a good enough track record to muddy the waters through this situation of going forward two quarterbacks here. I, I think K State wins just fine. Yeah, I think they'll be fine too. I, I don't think that. I don't think that. I, I think it's kind of odd too, like because K State came out so hot and they've you know they've only lost two, but effectively if if shot themselves in the foot uh you know they they beat a tech team and let's say we, we haven't meant we haven't mentioned this jones we talked about frauds all day in the nfl we talked about frauds all the time biggest frauds in the nation tech oh yes texas tech is fraud university and and people like brett mcmurphy that promoted them and said they were going to win the league and go to the sugar bowl they're on that fraud list with, with them. You're dying with Texas Tech. I mean, to be fair, I thought they would be, you know, I thought they were the dark horse to maybe make it in as the number two to the Big 12 championship. I thought they were ready for the limelight, and they're not. And, you know, McGuire, they're, you know, well, I guess this would be a sophomore season. You want to talk about a sophomore slump? Oh, you yeah. know, back to K-State, they go down and take care of business, or they're at home against Houston. You know, go out, you know, hurry up, kick ass, do whatever you got to do, and then just start watching tape against Tech, or for Texas. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, West Virginia taking on UCF. It wasn't a bad loss for West Virginia last week against OSU. That game came right down to the very end in OSU. Ultimately. Oh, except on the ground. Yeah, uh, better team just ended up winning. You know, Oklahoma State did, but it wasn't like a a lack of effort of sorts. From, from it wasn't an ass whoop. 
UCF comes off of a moral victory of sorts, if you want to call it that, going right to the very end down to the wire with, with OU. Plumlee looks really good. He's come to life here. The game is at UCF, and the odds are UCF by seven. Tom, uh, I think that's a little overreactionary by Vegas here. I, I think that, you know, we saw one good game out of UCF they lost. West Virginia, I think, has been a decent team for much of the year. I, I think that's a big overreaction on the part of Vegas here. I, I still like what West Virginia's doing despite the loss last week. I, I think they could go into Orlando and win here. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I don't think that's a stretch by any means. I, th- I think that that UCF, you know, against OU, I think – and I think some of the commentators were right, too. Uh, kind of like, um, you know, OU's going to get everybody's best shot. Yeah. And UCF kind of had something personal with Dylan Gabriel being, you know, against them. Right. Um, so, I, I think I think that, you know, UCF's favored by seven. Yeah. Um, if I'm a betting man, if I'm a betting man, I'm going to take – you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the point. You know, I'm gonna say, all right, well, UCF by seven. Well, give me seven for for West Virginia. They could still lose by you know six or three or whatever, and I think they'd be all right. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, Baylor taking on Iowa State. Uh, I don't think either one of these teams are that good. Iowa State is a slight favorite on the road, but let me tell you about Rocco Beck. Uh, this kid, son of uh, Anthony Beck, and uh, actually, I think TJ was telling me the other day that he he got to see some of Rocco at high school because he's good friends with uh, Anthony Beck, the former uh, Tampa Bay Bucks legend, uh, his dad. And Rocco Beck starting to figure out, coming to his own a bit. I think Baylor's got their fair share of problems. I like Iowa State to go into Waco, and your Iowa State. You're two wins away from bowl eligibility. And you look at that schedule with Kansas ahead after Baylor, BYU, Texas, and Iowa and K-State. Um, every game is important because that's uh a chance to go bowling here. It, it is gonna be it's gonna be a hard stretch for Iowa State to try to go bowling here. They have to win this one if they're going to. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Uh I mean you know, I, I hate that loss for OSU against Iowa State because they aren't that good of a team. Um, but all things considered, it's like Iowa State has flashes every now and then. Um, and, you know, I I think for them, though, Baylor is not Baylor of two years ago or even last year. I think Iowa State can win this. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Cincinnati taking out Oklahoma State in Stillwater. Um Oklahoma State is a touchdown plus favorite primetime game. Cincinnati just isn't a very good team. I'm not a fan of Emory Jones, quarterback. I'm not a fan of Scott Satterfield, the head coach. Um, if, if Oklahoma State does what they're supposed to, Tom, then they should win this game with ease. Yeah, they should. I mean, it, it's, it's, um, it's homecoming. Uh, I mean, you have no. You're on a kind of a roll since he's not looking too good. Uh, knock on wood. You got Bedlam the next week. Don't overlook that game. Like I said, though, it's homecoming. 
you know, the festivities have just started. Go get the job done. Um, and, and, you know, I'd like for them to, I'm not saying they're going to blow them out or get the, you know, shut it down by third quarter or anything, but like, Hey, like know that there's business next week and it's probably one of the most historically important games for your, for your, I almost called it a franchise. Might as well call it that at this point. One of the most historically important games for your for your university, I would liken it. I would liken it up to the win that they had against Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl, if not more important. Uh, if you can win that last bedlam for maybe a, a decade, then it's huge. As Kobe would say, "Job's not finished." Job's not finished, baby. And I don't like their chances, but shit happens. All right, one more note before we uh, bring in Eric Bailey that I want to talk about here on the Big 12 Breakdown this week. A lot of chatter about the future of the Big 12 football and basketball championship sites, uh, in particular from the new members and specifically the four-corner schools and even more specifically Utah fans. And let's break this down for you piece by piece. The Big 12 announced within the, the last several days that the Big 12 tournament was going to stay in Kansas City. They extended the contract through 2031. And this was after it was already announced that the Big 12 football championship was staying in Arlington through 2031 as well. That matches with the timeline of the TV contracts when they come up at that same time. And if you recall, Brett Yormark was – very open about his potential interest in moving the Big 12 championship, specifically basketball, to other markets. And then he got to Kansas City and got to see for himself how incredible that atmosphere is. Every session sells out and has done so for, gosh, I don't know how long now, seven, eight-plus years. I mean, it is incredible, and I would argue it is not just because of the teams, but because of the atmosphere, the best conference tournament in the country, even better than the Big East tournament in Madison Square Garden at this point. And it has become tradition. It's been incredible for, for all those involved. And the Big 12 football championship is in one of the best stadiums in the world there in Arlington. You don't have to worry about weather in December like you would many other potential Big 12 places like Kansas City, for example. Arlington's a great site for that. Well, then you have these people like these Utah fans who took to social media to complain about the Big 12 basketball championship in Kansas City. Why do we have to go to Kansas City? Why aren't we going to, why aren't we going to Vegas? You know, which every Big 12 school, by the way, is east of Vegas, might I add. I understand that the Vegas market is close to those four corner schools. And it's up for the pickings now that the Pac-12 is dead. I, I I think two things can be true, Tom. Yes. It takes away from the culture. Let me finish. Let me finish. Two things can be true. The Big 12 should go after the Vegas market, but it shouldn't have to sacrifice its conference championship games to give into the demands of its new members. We got a great thing going in Arlington for football and a great thing going in basketball with Kansas City. 
And as long as those continue to be successful, it should stay that way. But does that mean that you can't use Vegas for something? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Whether it's maybe a a tip-off classic of some sorts or maybe even an in-season tournament, like there's ways you can get Vegas involved. Um, I think that the Vegas market, the Big 12, should do stuff there but it doesn't need to sacrifice its conference championships just to please the demands of these new members here. If you're going to be a part of our league, then that comes with the culture of being in our league and, and our traditions and our history and the way we do things, Tom. I mean, yeah, it's about the culture, baby. Like don't like, and I think a lot of people that are like big 12 purists, I think maybe were a little bit worried when Brett Yormark came in that he would sell it out to the big markets or just I'm here to make the most money possible. And I'm glad he hasn't done that. Um, he's kind of gained my trust a little bit uh, in the, in the way where he hasn't sold the shit out. He hasn't dogged him out like an only fans, you know, uh, for, for better or worse in terms of explaining that, but he hasn't dogged him out. He hasn't pimped him out. Um, and he's keeping the culture alive. Like there is something to say that like, we will not be bought out. Um, and we're going to, you know, keep, keep our core together, like in terms of what we do and who we are, whether the big 12 name changes or not, which it most likely will. I don't know to what the big 14. No, then doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. You can't call it the big 16. Sounds the rumor like is that is the leading name, actually. Sounds like you're DJing a fucking 16-year-old's birthday party. Sweet 16? Yeah, call it the fucking Sweet 16. Yeah. That would be... I, you know, I would probably be okay with, like, calling it the Sweet 16. <laughs> uh, the NCAA might have something to say about that trademark uh, if they tried to go after that. But with that said, yeah... we're. Vegas, I think, should be involved in some way, shape, or form, but not necessarily by giving up your your championships. I mean, take example, you know, Tom, Oklahoma and Texas has moved to the SEC. OU and Texas aren't demanding all of a sudden that the big that the SEC championship needs to move from Atlanta to Dallas after all the great history and tradition of the SEC championship in Atlanta. The SEC championship, I think even most OU and Texas fans would agree, belongs in Atlanta. Um, and that's not changing with OU and Texas entering the league. Um, the SEC basketball championship is staying in Nashville. And Nashville is one of my favorite cities in the country and is a great host for the SEC championship. But you know what they are doing? They're moving SEC media days this upcoming year to Dallas, right in OU and Texas's backyard. And, you know, OU and Texas are thrilled about that. And so there are other things that we can do to reach the West and, uh, you know, attack markets like Vegas, uh, but it doesn't have to be to sacrifice our championship games. I mean, Tom, I mean, I don't know if you've been to the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City or not, but, I mean, people have been going there for decades, folks. I mean, you want to talk about history and tradition. The Big 8 tournament for years was in Kansas City with people spending their spring breaks going from Ames, Iowa to Kansas City and, and making that history and tradition to do that for a number of years. I mean, you've had so many people that are accustomed to that, Tom, 
that when Kansas and Iowa State played in the Big 12 championship game a few years ago, there was more Iowa State fans than Kansas fans there because they had bought up the tickets because that was their travel plans well before the Oklahoma, before the Kansas fans could get a hold of them. Not that Kansas fans didn't want to be there, but Iowa State fans got to them first. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not about that, but uh, we'll see what the Big 12 does uh, from here going forward. So, with that, uh, Eric Bailey said to join us. Uh, got a great conversation coming up with him. We'll uh, get his thoughts on the Sooners as well as the rest of the Big 12 when he joins us next. Join us now, Jumpsport this week. Please do welcome into the show. It's been a while, but we are so glad to have him back. It is Eric Bailey from the Tulsa World, Oklahoma Sooners beat writer, but most importantly, the second best softball coach in the state of Oklahoma, only to Patty Gasso as he joins us right now. Uh, Eric Bailey, always a pleasure, my friend. How are things in your world? Oh, it's great, Tyler. It's good to see you. Good to talk to you again. It has been a while. So, yeah, it, it's been a lot of fun. Football season's always fun, though, and it's always busy. So uh, it's been a fun ride so far this year. Yeah, no doubt. No, no doubt about it, especially for that Oklahoma team uh, where they're at 7-0. and We'll definitely talk about that in just a moment. But you brought up a point to me uh, before we started that uh, I, I I remember when it, when it came out, and, and I want to bring this up again, it's so cool – you know, the, the school you and I both went to, Haskell, uh, Indian Nations University, you you uh, have a new scholarship fund in your brother's <laughs> honor there at, at Haskell that was put together by some of your fellow colleagues. Tell, tell me about that and, and uh, what you got going on there at Haskell this weekend on behalf of your brother here. And one of the coolest things, and I always say the OU beats like my second family. I've been covering, this is my 13th season covering the Sooners. And uh, you know, though you beat, you're with them all the time at practices, you're with them on game weekends. So a lot of them are some of my best friends. So my brother unexpectedly passed away on July 31st. And, uh, uh, you know, it was hard for me those two weeks. You know, I was in fall camp. It just started at OU. So, I, of course, I had a lot of family business to take care of. First day back was uh, probably the third Monday of the month. And it was, and it, I just needed to get back, uh, you know, get back to work. And so everyone, of course, you know, wanted to see how I was doing and everything like that. And I appreciated everyone checking with me. And a lot of them did check in with me during that two-week span. Uh, it was neat. Uh, even at the funeral, I saw good friends, Garen Emig, Ryan Aber, and Jason Kersey at the funeral. And that was really neat. Uh, you know, to, you know to, to, it was really neat to see them. So they shocked me that first day back uh, after we did our availability. We were going back out the parking lot and they gave me an envelope and said that they had taken up a fund uh, amongst themselves and started, they started a $1,500 scholarship in my brother's name, Kurt Bailey, at Haskell for an upperclassman in in, in media communi- in communications and mass communications, basically, which is the, caught me totally off guard. You know, I had tears in my eyes when they gave it to me. I was not expecting that. So uh, really, really neat deal. Uh, so we're going up there this weekend to cover the football game, of course, but I'm going to go a little earlier. Uh, we're meeting with some Haskell representatives to talk about the scholarship and how we're going to implement that. And uh, hopefully, in my brother's name, uh, help some of the, some young students, some up-and-coming journalists uh, continue their journey to their chosen profession. So uh, it's a great way to, to continue my brother's legacy. I know he'd be embarrassed by all the attention. Uh, he, he never looked for the attention at all, but I really am thankful for all of the OUB, again, my second family, for starting that scholarship, uh, fundraising it, starting with seed money, coolest thing ever, Tyler. Uh, it means a lot. Thanks for thanks for even asking about that. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I think that's fantastic. And 
you know, what, what Haskell did for people like you and me, uh, I'm glad to see that someone else is going to, you know, benefit and, and carry on and hopefully have a bright future beyond Haskell uh, and carrying your brother's legacy like that is, is fantastic. So very cool stuff there. Uh, Eric, let's start off with, uh, the Oklahoma Sooners, the team you cover there with the fantastic start to the season they've had at seven and oh, and, just the moments that we've seen the the win over Texas and uh, you know, the way that Dylan Gabriel has played, what's been kind of your, your takeaways of where this Oklahoma team stands at this point and, and how this season has gone. Cause it, it seems like they've already way surpassed what most expectations were for 2023. You know, the crazy thing is a lot of the credit needs to go to Brent Venables and his coaching staff, because coming off a six and seven year, of course there were a lot of doubters, there were a lot of people saying, is Brent Venables the coach? And there was a lot of people saying, well, Oklahoma has something to prove this year, especially with this being their last year in the Big 12 and moving to the SEC next year. So all season long, during the offseason, during fall camp, even last spring, Brent Venables always made sure to talk about changing the culture, learning from last year, uh, and and really focusing on this season and, and not, re, you know, not making the same mistakes they made last year. And of course, until you see it, you can't believe it. You have to see it with their own eyes, not only for the media and for the fans, but for the team themselves. And uh, I think the affirmation is there. Uh, the players are seeing if they do what the coaches say, uh, that it's going to come to light and it'll come to truth. And, and it just play, allows them to play with more confidence. So that's what impresses me the most. Coming off a six and seven year, uh, they've already surpassed that six win total. And, and they're seven and oh right now. And they're in the conversation for the Big 12 title. Uh, I'm curious if they do beat Kansas on Saturday, where they'll be in the first college football playoff rankings that come out next Tuesday on Halloween. Uh, this is stuff we never thought we were talking about. You know, when you after the the Cheez It Bowl last year in Orlando when they lost to Florida State, you wondered what's next year going to be like. Well, here we are seeing a 7-0 team with a lot in front of it still. It's, it's just a credit to Brent Venables and his coaching staff. Well, and that's a great point. Uh, I was at Red River a couple of weeks ago and. I was so happy for Brent to get that win for everything that was said about him, all the the doubters and the naysayers. To me, I, I felt like, and you know, he's a pretty humble guy in his own right. That that was a, a lot of that was about Brent of his response of coming back from losing that game last year, forty nine nothing, to turn around and win this game when they were what was it, a five and a half point underdog in that game. Like he he is really just turned a page, turned a corner from everything that was said about him, especially the replacing Lincoln Riley and all that and taking Caleb Williams. I mean, he he's, it seems like that he's come a long way compared to the conversations we were having about him a year ago. Exactly. And the thing not to be lost on this is he's been part of rebuilding projects at major programs. You look what he did at Clemson when he started in 2012, how he had to really pattern that defense behind what he wanted to do. And you can go back to 99 and 2000 when he was just a linebackers coach at Oklahoma, how he was part of that rejuvenation of the program and the defense. We're seeing the same blueprint with Oklahoma this year in the first two years, how every, you know, the team went through some growing pains last year. He really didn't have time to really recruit to the needs of the team last year. He was really filling in some gaps this year. Uh, even coming off the six and seven year, he recruited really well. And we're seeing some of those transfer portal guys come in and make instant impacts. And that's been huge in this 7-0 start. To be honest, Tyler, I don't if the transfer portal rule wasn't in place right now, I don't know how long this turnaround would be for Oklahoma football. Grant Venables has been able to really fill in some gaps 
uh, right away. And we're seeing some of these guys make instant impacts. And that's been huge. Again, you just give credit to Brent Venables after last year. And, and you're right. It's night and day from 49 to nothing to, to winning a nail biter in the Cotton Bowl this year. Big change uh, in, in just a year's time uh, to where this program has gone. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And and the other thing, too, uh, Eric, that I, I think is worth mentioning is that it's not just that he had to retool the roster and replace guys that had left, you know, since Lincoln Riley had departed and, and all that, but also retooling it in his image. What what Brent Venables has wanted to do at Oklahoma is a total reverse of coaching philosophy from what Lincoln Riley was trying to do. Exactly. I think if Brent Venables, he, he you know, a good example is the, the defensive line. Uh, you know, Brent Venable, I mean, uh, Alex Grinch under Lincoln Riley, he was light on the defensive line at Oklahoma and they were kind of getting pushed around. Well, Brent Venables wants big guys on the front and on the defensive line making plays. And we're already seeing the impact of that change. Uh, we're seeing the athleticism. We're seeing zone blitzes. We're seeing a lot of unique defenses that Brent Venables has learned over his three decades as a coach. And he's implementing it as a head coach now at Oklahoma. And again, the, the transfer portal has been so good to Oklahoma. It's allowed them to fill in some of the needs that they had at some of the key positions, especially on the defensive line. But it, you know, but it's also surrounded existing players like Danny Stutzman with talent around him, where he doesn't have to make every play. You know, he he does what he needs to do, and it, it makes him shine a little brighter because he doesn't have to, you know, maybe do more than it's expected. Uh, there's 11 guys uh, pulling on the same rope on defense and they're doing a good job of making plays and, and creating turnovers. That's something else that the Brent Venables has them doing. Uh, they're among the nation's leaders in interceptions. This is a defense that's making plays uh, where in years past, they was more bend don't, but don't break in high scoring games. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. So Eric Bailey, Tulsa world joining us here on the program this week. Uh, Eric, let's talk about uh, none other than uh, Dylan Gabriel, who's one of the Heisman contenders, off to a great start to 2023 so far. And he was he was good last year, but taking a huge step up. What has been the difference, you think, in Dylan Gabriel of 2023 to 2022? What's been his big area of growth that you've seen? You know, it's funny, Tyler. I've always known him to be a mature player. He was like that when he arrived on campus uh, in January of 2022. Uh, he was very mature when he made the transfer from UCF. And last year, it was tough because he had an offense that's still learning its way, finding its way. Uh, you know, we talk about Stutzman maybe trying to do more than he needed to do. I think maybe Dylan Gabriel was guilty of that a little bit last year, trying to do a little bit more than he needed to do. But that was that, that was out of necessity, too, because this there was times when, you know, those high scoring games and the defense is giving up points. He had to try to make plays. Well, now he's, he's still that mature player, but he, he's really doing a good job of using all the weapons around him. Going into the season, he didn't know who his top wide receiver was going to be with the loss of Marvin Mims. Well, now he's finding different guys and he's trusting different guys, which has really been impressive. And the thing that stands out about Dylan is he's doing this without without a, a consistent running game. Oklahoma struggled in its rushing offense. And, you know, you mentioned being at the OU Texas game this year. He was the leading rusher for the Sooners. Gabriel ran over 100 for 100, over 100 yards. And he, he's at he's making things happen with his feet, too. So it, it's really neat to see him. Uh, on some Heisman list now. Will he get uh, Will he get invited to New York as a finalist? Right now, he has a good chance to do that. Uh, I'm curious to see what happens this back half of the season, but 
I've just been impressed with all the the plays he's making, the throws he's making, and more than anything, the leadership he's, that he's provided. Oh yeah, he's been fantastic. You mentioned him leading, uh, you know, the, the team in rushing that game against Texas. The way that they were going to QB power so much, I, I was thinking to myself, Eric, you know, they may be leaving the Big Twelve, but after all those losses to K State uh, over the last couple of years. I guess their departing gift was learning the uh, the QB power play uh, from from K State because uh, they they've done a really good job of using Dylan Gabriel not just as a passer but those design runs. He's not the fastest guy by any means, but uh, he he's got the vision to to get downfield and make those necessary runs. Somewhere, Colin Klein is smiling at what you just said about the quarterback power run, uh, the the offensive coordinator at Kansas State. No, and that's the thing. You know, there's probably a little bit of worry um, more last year than this year about running Dylan because you don't need him to get hurt. Right. We saw what happened last year with him getting the concussion against TCU, having to sit out Red River and Oklahoma loses 49 to nothing with their starting quarterback on the bench because of concussion protocol. Now, I know that's still a concern. You never want to put your – quarterback in harm's way, but they have a real quality backup in Jackson Arnold, where if something happens, I think they feel comfortable with their backup quarterback, who's young, but very talented. And I think just the competitor in Dylan Gabriel makes him want to be able to make those plays. He wants to stretch for that first down. I think he hates to slide. Uh, He'd rather take people on, but he also has to be smart because they're going to need him if they want to do what they want to do this year. They need him. And here's a, he's a quarterback that got hurt in his third season, too. I think he's probably aware of that, too. He got he got injured in his third season, third game at UCF and was out for the year. So he knows what season-ending injuries are like. So I really think he'll be cautious and probably he'll be smart with the slides. Yeah, I think so. I, I got to say, watching this Oklahoma team the last couple of weeks, uh, the way that Nick Anderson has come along, you know, at that receiver position, just – absolutely incredible the the plays he's made I mean where did this guy come from this came out of left field you know it's funny when he arrived at Oklahoma everyone talked about him being Rodney Anderson's little brother because of course Rodney Anderson was really huge for the Sooners in that 2017 season when they went to that the college football playoff Rodney was their top running back and uh the thing with Rodney though is that was his only healthy year 2017 and he was just dynamic he was one of the best players Oklahoma had had in quite some time. And it's unfortunate that injuries really hindered his career. So when when Nick Anderson arrived last year, everyone said, oh, it's Rodney Anderson's little brother. Well, now I really think that he's uh, Rodney Anderson is Nick Anderson's <laughs> big brother. I, I think that's how we should say, because Nick Anderson is really making a name for himself. Uh, last year, he redshirted, was injured, battling injury. But this year, uh 16 catches. He only has 16 catches. He's averaging 24 yards per catch, which is second in the nation. He has eight touchdown catches. So he has a 50% ratio touchdown to catch rate. And uh, the the college, the Oklahoma record for freshman touchdowns by a wide receiver uh, is nine by Marvin Mims. And we know it's game eight and uh, Nick Anderson is one touchdown away from tying Marvin Mims. Just been impressed with, you know, his size, he's big, he's long, he's fast. And uh, he's a young man with the loss of Andrew Anthony, who was, you know, the leading receiver through six weeks, six games. With the loss of him to a knee injury, Nick Anderson's uh, uh, contribution is going to be expected to go way up. And I think that's a good thing because I think he's a player that needs the ball in his hands. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Stuntsman has been just absolutely incredible. One of the best linebackers uh, in the country and, the way that he can just make plays here, uh, I mean, we're, we're talking about him being 
one of the best linebackers we've seen in a long time at OU, maybe since like Kenneth Murray or something. I, I'm impressed with him every time he takes the field, Eric. You know, and that's uh, a credit to, again, Brent Venable's system and what Brent Venables has taught him. And he was good as a true freshman under Lincoln Riley, but he's really excelling this year. And it's not only his play on the field, it's his leadership off the field. During the offseason, Brent Venables mentioned more than one time that Stutzman had really taken command. It was player a player-led defense, uh, thanks to, to Danny Stutzman. I think that's been huge. And, you know, we've just seen him make plays after play after play. Uh, you know, the pick six earlier this season, uh, he tackles for loss. He's always in the backfield. And he he is the heartbeat of this defense. Um, had a chance when I was visiting my oldest daughter, Justine, in Orlando a couple of weeks ago. Uh, while I was in Orlando, I had a chance to sit down uh, at a breakfast table with his dad, Steve Stutzman. And we sat for an hour just talking for a story I'm working on, a bigger story on Danny later in the season. And it just impressed me how... Danny grew up and how he was a competitor from when he was real little. And I think that football has really been a part of that, that young man's life and, and winning has been a part of that family. Um, Danny's older sister, Sabrina Stutzman was a member of Florida state's uh, national championship softball team uh, about five or six years ago. So this family understands uh, top level competition. He's grown up around it. And you know, what impresses me is he, he always, he's always going to be himself. You know, he's not just a football player. He has a personality. We saw the cigar sitting in the picture of him smoking a cigar after beating Texas. We saw the shirt he wears. We saw the viral video that he made in the locker room. You know, God only fears, or Oklahoma only fears God and Texas fears Oklahoma. That was the speech. So we see all that with Danny Stutzman, and it just impresses me. I'm not going to compare him to Bosworth because, you know, Bosworth is one and only. But Stutzman has that charisma where he's really – uh, taking over the team and the media and the fan base. And that that's really impressive. So as Oklahoma uh, gets ready for this game against Kansas, uh, Kansas expecting to have uh, Jalen Daniels back uh, this upcoming week and, you know, a very talented team and a dynamic offense here. You know, EB, for, for years, you know, you and I, we, we would cover this game and and it would be all right. You know, we're we're getting ready for – uh, a blowout more than likely, you know, no Oklahoma team that's favored by four plus touchdowns, whatever. Th- this is got to be the most interesting trip to Lawrence maybe ever uh, for Oklahoma, at least in, in a very long time, because uh, this Kansas team, unlike years previously, as I imagine, has their full attention here. Big noon kickoff. That's the crazy yeah. thing. Big noon kickoffs in Lawrence. Lawrence is going to be hopping. It's homecoming weekend, too. Yeah. So it's going to be crazy in Lawrence. It's going to be fun to see. You know, in the last two seasons, and this is a credit to Lance Leopold, the, the KU coach, 2022 through now, 23, they've won 11 games since the start of 22. From 2016 to 2021, Kansas won 11 games. During those seasons, what's that, five, six seasons, they won 11 games total? Yeah. In the last season and a half, they're at 11. So that just does a credit to how this team has turned around, the resurgence of Kansas football. This is no longer that gimme game. This is no longer that game you go up there and you're going to expect to win by three touchdowns. This is going to be a tough game for the Sooners, especially, as you mentioned, the offense, just dynamic. This is going to be another test for Oklahoma's defense. And, uh, you know, goofy things happen up at KU when Oklahoma goes up there. I remember two years ago. It took Caleb Williams stripping the ball from his teammate Kim Kennedy Brooks's hands and getting the first down uh, during a key drive in the second half to help Oklahoma win that game. OU was losing 10 nothing at halftime two years ago for Lawrence. So uh, it's going to be a tough game for the Sooners. I'm just kind of curious to see 
which Oklahoma team comes out? Uh, is it going to be the one that started slow against UCF, or is it going to be one of the early season uh, offenses that come out really fast, scoring quick? Yeah, yeah, it's a great point. We'll see how it plays out. You look at the rest of the schedule after Kansas. Uh, obviously, that game against Bedlam uh, is going to be incredible there in Stillwater. West Virginia, BYU, and TCU, the final stretch. EB, this uh, th- these final five – you know, five games here, that's not an easy slate for what Oklahoma has had, especially on the road with Kansas, Oklahoma State, and and BYU here. I mean, nothing's a guarantee for Oklahoma in these final five games. You know, Oklahoma's really only had one true road game. That was Cincinnati, because I don't think you count Tulsa as a road game. There's more Crimson in the stands. You don't count OU Texas as a true road game because it's half-half. You know, I think there'll be a handful of Oklahoma fans there, too. So Kansas probably won't be that – you know, 90-10 thing ratio you see at most home games. But after 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 this game this weekend, Bedlam's going to be nuts. Last Bedlam ever. I mean, until, you know, we're not going to see these teams play each other for a long time. So I think that's going to be a special meeting, and nothing would make OSU fans better than to beat Oklahoma in the last meeting. And I think Oklahoma State's playing really well now. They've turned things around. Uh, that's going to be a tough game, and you're right. And going to BYU – that's no picnic going there to Provo and you got a feeling that it's going to be a night game. I think TV will make that a night game, especially if Oklahoma is still undefeated. That that has a, that has trap game written all over it. So nothing easy. I think, you know, Brent Venables makes sure to tell his team, they just want to go one and O every week, one and O that's the speech. And, you know, as a journalist and you've been, a, you've been a reporter for a long time, you get tired of hearing the same thing every week, but we hear that every week. All they want to do is go one and O, but if you're an Oklahoma fan, you got to love it and eat that up because that's their focus. And and EB, as a softball coach, you're you're probably now telling your players we gotta go one and zero this week. <laughs> I take everything they say and I filter it down, especially from Patty Gasso. When I talk to Patty Gasso, shoot, uh yeah, I'm learning from the best there. So I hey, we we're gonna start learning some infield drills from what I've seen at OU practices. So yeah, Patty Gasso, you learn from the best. You watch the best, you learn from the best. <laughs> that's great. That that's that's fantastic. Uh Eric, I was thinking about this. Uh as Oklahoma's in this not just race to win the Big 12 title, but now the college football playoff discussion you mentioned with the first rankings coming out in a week or so. If you're OU here, I know it sounds crazy, but if you take a step further and really look into it, you're actually not really wanting Texas to win out because let's say for all intents and purposes, if Texas wins out, and beat you in the Big 12 title game, recency bias probably gives Texas an edge over Oklahoma to make the playoff. In the perfect world here, if you're OU, you probably want Texas to lose one of these games, and then uh, the Big 12 championship game, whether you win or lose, then you're not worrying about Texas being in the playoff discussion here. It would do OU a lot if Texas will we see uh, Quinn Ewers out if they could potentially slip up to give OU a little cushion, not have to compete with Texas for a playoff spot, potentially. You know, Tyler, I just got a feeling for Oklahoma, if they're going to make the 14 playoff this year, I think they just have to go undefeated no matter the opponent. I think I think a yep. one-loss Oklahoma team, because you look at strength of schedule, it's really not that strong. Their non-conference schedule wasn't that tough. Here's a little known fact. You know who week three, the week two opponent was supposed to be this year? Wasn't supposed to be Georgia? It was supposed to be Georgia. Yeah, they were supposed to host Georgia in Norman, but since Oklahoma announced they were going to SEC, that game got uh, that game got canceled. So the the non conference schedule is not as strong as it has been in years past. 
Uh, and it, uh, a one loss Oklahoma, I think it's left out. I just, I just think no matter, I think even if they play a, a, a non-Texas in the big 12 game, if they lose that game, I think they're knocked out. So I think the goal long-term for Oklahoma is they have to probably go undefeated, get in the playoff. Uh, short-term, we just want to know every week, of course, that <laughs> no one wants to talk about that, but I think Oklahoma really needs probably to win out to go to the playoff this year. And they're, they're more than capable with their schedule. They're going to have to play well every week, but they're more than capable of doing that. Yeah. Well, and, and I thought like, you know, I, I, I remind people of this all the time. It is not humanly possible to play your best every single week in, in any sport and football, especially, and for last week, when it was clearly their off day, to still find a way to win. I know some people are going to say, wow, you know, it was you're a 17-point favorite and you only beat UCF by two. I looked at last week and I said, it was their off day and they still found a way to win. And that's what good teams do is find ways to win even on their off days. I, I, what did you take away from last week? I, I was not personally discouraged by by that performance, knowing that they still found a way to win. You know, it, it's funny because Brent Venables was asked point blank, is this a game you lose last year? And he said, I think we do. I think that that's it. It, it. As a coach, you're probably happy that you didn't play your best game, but you found a way to win. Oklahoma was losing 23-17 in the fourth quarter and um, had to find a way to come back. And that's where you go back. We were talking about Dylan Gabriel. Dylan Gabriel, again, led him to a, an important touchdown drive. In fact, two touchdown drives in the fourth quarter. Uh, it was compar- comparable to what they did at, at, against Texas the week before, backs against the wall, finding a way to score a touchdown. So I think that that uh, you got to be – you're never go- You're right. You're never going to play your best game every week. It, it's impossible. It's just humanly impossible in any sport to be perfect every week. But to find a way to win, keep your dream alive, your Big 12 hopes, your, your your college football playoff hopes alive, that was big. So the key for Oklahoma is try not to duplicate that in Lawrence this weekend. Yeah, for sure. Uh, after this season with the SEC on the horizon, you know, th- there was a lot of talk going into this year that, man, Oklahoma's just not ready for the SEC, that they're even behind Texas in preparation. And now with this 7-0 start, the way that they performed – how, how's the feeling in Norman and in, in the state of Oklahoma about how prepared where this program is as uh, they get ready for this move here? I think uh, sky high and and Texas too. I mean, you look at Oklahoma and Texas this week, they're ranked in the top 10. So they're top 10 teams. I think both these schools are prepared for the move to SEC. It's not just Oklahoma. They both need to be prepared. And as an unbiased sports writer, I think it's neat that both schools are going in with momentum. Uh, it'd be one thing to go in there and be struggling and then welcome to the league. They're entering the big the SEC, excuse me, with momentum. And I think that's important. We're seeing the fruits of Oklahoma's success in the recruiting trail. They're going to sign a top 10 recruiting class again this year, uh, which is big. And Texas, of course, is going to be top 10, too. So I think that everything is trending in the right way for Oklahoma and Texas as they make this move, which is important. And you, you didn't know you were going to say that again after a six and seven year. Uh, there was a lot to prove. I mean, there was so much to prove, not only to the media and to the fans, but to themselves. And I think they've done that. Uh, On a business relationship, uh, Oklahoma and Texas making this move are as tied to the hip together as they've ever been at this point. And as I was interacting with Oklahoma Oklahoma and Texas fans uh, a couple weeks ago, Eric, like the the common theme I I kept hearing was, you know, hey, you know, we, we, we don't like each other, but we respect each other. And like that, that's not the Oklahoma and Texas I grew up with. But now here we are, Eric. I mean, this, this is the nature of the beast. Like they're 
they're in this marriage together. They, you know, we saw Texas depart from A&M for a long time. OU now depart from Oklahoma State. Uh, they're, it's do or die to go to these two programs now. And that's it. And I'm really curious to see if both fan bases will cheer for their rival when they play the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Floridas. Will Oklahoma fans cheer for Texas when they're, they got Georgia on the ropes? Will Texas fans cheer for Oklahoma when Alabama is in, in Norman? That's what I'm curious about. Well, I mean, because they're, these two are going, they're brother in arms, brothers in arms going forward. And so we'll see what happens. I'm really curious. But again, it goes back to they're trending in the right way. It's not the, the OU Texas of, you know, of down years. I think that's huge. And I, I, think, I think that's good for both programs. Oh, yeah, certainly so. Uh, Eric, appreciate the time as always, my friend. Uh, tell people where they can find you and uh, see all the work you're doing at Tulsa World, man. TulsaWorld.com. That's where you can get all our stuff. And I always say support local media. I work with some of the best people out there, especially on the sports staff. So uh, you, know, you can always go to TulsaWorld.com. You can follow me at, at Eric Bailey TW. I'm on Twitter all the time, it seems like. So uh, check that out, too. And we have our own pod- podcast, OU Sports Extra podcast, too. So I'm joined by Mason Young, the other OUB writer. Uh, we do a couple podcasts, one during the week, one post-game podcast. So we're staying busy, Tyler, just like you. I know you're busy down in Dallas, so I stay just as busy as you do. And it, but you know what? We got the best job in the world. Me and you both. We got oh, the best job in the world. It's, it is the best. Uh, we're lucky to do what we do. And uh hope you have a great time at Lawrence. Enjoy uh, Haskell and KU and, and uh, saying hi to Brent and everybody for me. Uh, certainly appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk in down the line. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Hey, thanks for having me on, Tyler. Final segment before we go. It's our top four story of the week. Thomas Bridges standing by. Something ridiculous happening in the world. Tom, where are we going to this time? Jones, this is one of the more polarizing headlines I've ever read. Um, and pretty crazy for this part of Utah. We're going to Salt Lake City. It's right down the street from our friends at BYU. Um, Mid-City Salon owner Teresa Bowman leaves downtown Salt Lake City due to public masturbators. What? Like, this is this comes from utahstories.com. Uh, this is posted pretty much last week. Salt Lake City's downtown is beloved by locals, but is the homeless population ruining the downtown area? Are businesses moving out of Main Street because they don't feel safe? For a long time, Main Street and SLC define the makeup, character, and tapestry of the city. Tapestry, tapestry. Nature, naturally, naturally, bleh, naturally, it should be a showplace of downtown for Salt Lake City businesses. Unfortunately, downtown Salt Lake City is suffering. The homeless population problem downtown has become diff- difficult for local businesses owners to deal with. On this week's Utah Stories podcast, Teresa Bowman, who has owned Mid-City Salon since 97, came on the program to discuss her experience. They couldn't have started off with a better quote. It's been really hard, Bowman said. Oh, my God. Describing running a business on Main Street, she mentioned a city official advising her to hire a security guard, which she couldn't afford. On the Fox News, she described some of the issues she had been having, such as chairs being thrown off the building and ruining the awning, men masturbating in front of her salon staff, and human feces being left in front of the salon door almost daily. 
I can't keep girls working here. They don't feel safe. I don't feel safe. Nobody feels safe. Some businesses on Main Street have closed or moved due to this problem. One of them is Southam Gallery, which was on Main Street for 45 years. They're making it. Oh, my God. This is not real. They're making it hard to stay in business. <laughs> <laughs> According to Bowman, the homeless and business owners used to work together to create a conducive environment. I knew most of them by name. We were more like a community. It wasn't like we were scared and they weren't scared of us. That all changed in the past three years with instituting abatements. Uh, now there is lots of fear and animosity between business owners and the homeless and nobody to turn to for help. Bowman said the police were told by the mayor to let the homeless go and to turn away. He said, we're not supposed to touch the homeless. As a consequence, Bowman moved her salon to Trolley Square. Jones, they didn't use hard like three times in this thing. <laughs> um, not, and I'm looking at the comments right now just to see if anybody else. My mom worked at a daycare there and someone left the door unlocked. So a homeless man got in. He decided to shit on the floor and pee in places that aren't meant for pee. Said the closed classes down to clean. Um, yeah. Jones um, brings a whole new meaning to the Utah jazz. More like, more like the Utah jizz. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying, cuz? Yeah. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, hey, welcome to Utah Jizz, the Main Street. Golly, that's bad. You know, Jones, Tulsa, you've been around Tulsa homeless people, and so have I. Um, even early in the morning, there were some scary cats, but nothing too crazy. And I haven't really been around a lot of the homeless population here in San Antonio. Um, interesting enough though, uh, you know, a place like Salt Lake city, you would think it wouldn't be as bad or that they would all kind of defect to like San Francisco or California. Um, and I wonder how much kind of support they're getting through, you know, the Mormon church, if any, um, Super interesting, though, that they are, you know, like that in Salt Lake City. They're getting down like that. Um, I don't know if I could take somewhere like that seriously if I was around and saw that on the street, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, the fact that it was Salt Lake, of all places, too, this city that, you know, is the Mormon capital of the world and all these rules and restrictions and regulations about what you can and can't do. And we, we got people doing that in the streets. Like that, that yeah, if it was San Francisco. Like it's like, yeah, that, that, like, that's another Tuesday in San Francisco. Yeah, tell in me Salt, something I don't know. In Salt Lake, that is the apocalypse. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Is it's Salt Lake city, the next Portland. Could you imagine? Oh, no, I couldn't. The Mormons would have them paid to be bussed out to San Fran in a heartbeat. Like, I've been to Salt Lake multiple times, and I really like Salt Lake. Have you partied there? I have partied in Salt Lake. Well, you've been out out in the bars, you know, outside. I've been there, but 
not I, outside the airport. I have a very good Salt Lake story about an encounter with a, a, a female I met one night that is something I can't share on air. I don't know if I've heard this story. I think you have. I think you just forgot. Um, but we'll, we'll, I'll remind you of that later. But yeah, Salt Lake, I've had, I've, I've had good memories of. I, I've had memories that. What do you just call it? Salt Lake? <laughs> Maybe. Um, Salt Lake City, baby. Salt Lake City. Yeah, I. I'm very fond of Salt Lake. Yeah, uh, imagine they come out with jazz jerseys that says Licks. Like, you know, like Charlotte has Buzz City. You just call it Lick City. Lick City. That would probably be Atlanta. Um, What was it, the uh, the the All-Star shirts that they had canceled in Salt Lake? I don't know. Salt Lake City canceled shirts. Salt Lake City canceled All Star shirts. Now I got to Google this. We're, we're we're doing our Joe Rogan here. Oh, and, yeah. Hey, pull. What's his name? Uh, who are you talking about? Who's who's his little in, not intern, but oh, his producer. I can't remember that guy's name. Oh, I can hear his. I can hear Joe Rogan's voice. Say, hey. Pull that up. Um, I know Theo Vaughn's is Riley Mao. Oh, All Star twenty twenty three, SL comma UT slut oh. like Salt Lake. <laughs> yes, G. the slut All Stars. That's beautiful. The slut All Stars. Yes, I, and you can buy that shirt. I almost need it. The. The guy here that was doing this uh, masturbating behavior, he he would be one of those slut all stars. Yeah, he got he got one of those shirts from Goodwill. Um, I almost need one. That would that would almost be kind of like Tulsa, if they had some weird all star game. You know, they would just be a slut like back Tulsa backwards. A slut, yeah, yeah, a slut. Oklahoma, okay, a slut, a slut, okay. Yeah. Oh man, that would be awesome. Yeah, that's that's a legendary. I'd never heard of the shirt. S L U T. Like, there's no way anybody was like realistically like, yeah, that that's gonna work. Now, I'll say this, Tom. Too, I think you read the headline. You you referred to him masturbating and said he was naked. Uh. Let, I need to make a correction here. In, in a situation like this, naked. Not you're not naked. You're naked. There's a big difference. Naked, you're in the shower. Naked, you're doing in something. In the street. Right, right. This guy was naked. Oh, man. And you're making it hard for Salt Lake City businesses. Like, that's that's the part. Nobody said it in the comments either. Nobody was like, did they overuse the word hard? Like, yeah, it's been really hard. I'm like, whoa. Like, hey, yo. Because they probably like, don't yeah, know. Yeah, it means. has been really hard. Because they don't know what that means. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a place where people soak. <laughs> we were talking about soaking not- in the office today, actually. Like, 
Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Like this uh one one of my coworkers, uh he, he at one so point at one point in time he dated a Mormon girl. And so we're asking, like, did you guys ever soak? Oh my god. Off the air, you're gonna have to tell me who the coworker is. Okay, I will. I'd like to guess. I bet it's Tex. It's not, but you're not far off, actually. It's not a man. It's a it's a producer. It is a man, and it's a producer. Yes. All right. So. Yeah, I don't. I mean. Yeah, I don't. Who? Yeah, I gotta know now. <laughs> it's it's fucking Tom, isn't it? No, no he's a, he's no, he's not a producer. Damn it! I bet Tom would. Tom would be the guy that would soak. <laughs> if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, you'd be the one that would soak. <laughs> uh, so they'd call it the Cincinnati soak. Well, it's funny, like, and we're we're not making fun of the Mormon religion. That's not what we're doing here. It's oh, we are. It, it is the <laughs> uh, traditions and all that that we're pointing to here. What what I find funny of that that same crowd that embraces soaking Tom like we were talking Big Twelve in Vegas earlier, BYU fans have made it known like they want to own Vegas and they want stuff going on in Vegas and all this like, what are you gonna do in in Vegas, you BYU fans? I mean like yeah like what, what good does Vegas do for you? Like do you guys just is there, is there like a good pay, ice cream shop? Do you pay a prostitute to soak? Oh my god. Can you imagine like okay, listen, we're not going to fuck. I just need to soak. And I'm going to pay you for it. And yeah, I'm going to pay you to let me soak. And they're in the prostitute's probably like, "What?" And they're like, "Just look it up." <laughs> and then and imagine you pay another prostitute to be under the bed to move the bed. Yeah. Oh my gosh, dude. I I can't imagine think. imagine being the bro that like your best friend or whatever is like essentially gonna bang some old girl and he's like, We're gonna soak, but like, hey bro, I need you to be under the bed to move the bed. That's a real bro. Yeah. Um I mean that's an ultimate bro. If you're the bro that like moves the bed to let your roommate or friend soak and you're like rocking the bed underneath, that's that's a true bro. I don't know even know if I would I don't even I wouldn't do that for you. Well, that's good to know. Uh I, I guess I'll have to take my soaking elsewhere. Uh I think you could you could get like maybe Brian Nolan to soak with you. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Nolan, my but and I, I hope Nolan still listens to this. Brian Nolan, although he's married, he would be the one that would soak. Well, well, we all know Brian's Nolan. Brian is Mormon. You know, I mean, he he, he wishes he was. He's a secret Mormon. So he he is the most likely that would soak. He would soak. Brian would soak just to say he soaked. Oh, absolutely. On that note. We better go before we. Oh my God, we need shirts. We do. We we. I soaked in Salt Lake City. <laughs> we uh we gotta go. Big thanks, to Eric Bailey, for joining us. Uh, and uh, you, the listener, for hanging out with us as well. Subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every week. 
Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media, Facebook.com slash Tyler Jones Live, Facebook.com slash Studio Soapbox, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, Studio underscore Soapbox, uh, and then also on Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, Insta Thomas, Jones underscore Report. You can find us there. For Thomas Bridges, Eric Bailey, and our entire crew, Tyler Jones, thanks so long. It's been another edition of Jones Report. We'll see you next week.